if you, if you want to turn, Psalm 73, and I'm going to read out of the NIV. I know a lot of people don't like it as much, but I found when I was serving overseas that uh, the, the, even the ESV or the New American Standard, especially the King James, was really hard for people to translate and to grab onto. So I kind of switched to the NIV, so lots of times I still use that, plus I understand it better too. So, uh, so we're, going to look at, we're going to read Psalm 73 out of the, out of, uh, starting in verse 1, good place to start. This is Asaph, the musician of David, David's chief musician, King David's. And he starts out and he says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet have almost, had, had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man, not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous heart, come, from their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their mind know no limits. They scoff. They speak with malice in their in their arrogance. They threaten opposition, oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up their waters in abundance. They say, "How can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge?" This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. By the way, just think, he's angry there. It's emphatic. He says, this is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they, in they increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocent. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, if I, had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. Do I hear an amen? Surely you place them on slippery ground. You count them down, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire beside you. My, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all of your good deeds. Amen. Please be seated. That's a long psalm. I'm sorry to make you stand so long. On uh, January 17, 2004, a 66-ton whale died and was beached on the southwest coast of Taiwan near the city of Tainan. I think I said that right. Two weeks later, on January 29th, authorities decided to truck the dead whale to a laboratory where they could uh, do an autopsy. I don't know why they wanted to do an autopsy, because I don't think they wanted to eat it, but maybe. It took 50 laborers 
and three cranes, 13 hours to hoist this 56-foot uh, behemoth onto a flatbed trailer truck. Now, just Tom could probably verify this. 50, a, tra- a, t- a standard trailer is 53 feet on a truck. I mean, that's the, pretty much the normal semi-trailer. This, tri- this, this well was uh, 56 feet, had three, three feet hanging over. When they trucked him, they put him on the truck. Pedestrians and shop owners poured into the streets to watch the spectacle of a whale carcass being driven down to the downtown of Tainan. And then it happened. As the truck crawled through the downtown region with crowds looking on, the whale exploded. (laughs) That's right, (laughs) it blew up. (laughs) The inner conditions of this dead, huge mammal. Combined with the, the heat, it's warmer there in, the, in January, and combined with the bumps on the road, a little bit of agitation, if you've taken chemistry, a little bit of mechanical agitation, uh, caused an eruption that the town people would never forget. <laughs> Cars, people, local shops, buses, they were all splattered with whale entrails. Ooh. Traffic was brought, uh, came to a total halt for hours, and the smell was almost unbearable. Can you imagine that? Well, can you imagine getting up that morning? I bet you didn't have uh, a, an exploding whale on your mind. That's part of your, your, plan, your, your plan for the day. But sometimes life is just like that. How you start your plan, how you plan your day, and how, your hope it go, how, how, it hopes to go, how you hope it goes, is just totally opposite for how it turns out. An exploding whale. Can you imagine that? So what do you do when something really bad happens? I mean, that would be pretty bad, but what, what if it's really bad and it really shakes your confidence in the Lord? What do you do when your theology, what you've learned from the Word, clashes with reality? This is what Asaph is really facing here. I have a real simple outline for this psalm. Verse 1 is the truth we all hold to. That surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure who, to those who are pure in heart. We may say it another word, God is good all the time. And then from about two on down to um, fourteen, it's just a whole section where he's looking around and he's seeing he's, and it's how life really forces us and causes us to question this truth at times. Now, life causes us to question the truth. And then from seven or 15 on are basically answers to those questions that come from the sanctuary of God or from presence of God. So let's go back and, and just look at that. You know, Asaph was totally right. God is good. God is good to Israel. He's good all the time. All the time. In every way. Yeah, and and to those who appear in heart. And now he was writing to Israel, but that that extends to us as people of the covenant, adopted into the family. But then eight, the next phrase is this key phrase of personal testimony. But as for me, and you'll see that that at that same phrase is is uh, at the very end of twenty eight, at the beginning of the at the but the end of the psalm at the beginning of twenty eight. But as for me, and so what he's going to do is share his reckoning, his testimony, his perspective on, on what God brought him through. He says, as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I, and there's four key words here, I envied the arrogant 
when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The first thing was he talked about two groups that he'd been watching and he shouldn't have been watching. Maybe he had been in a, a doctor's office looking at all these homes and stuff and thinking, man, they got a lot nicer place than I got. And they're not very... But these were the arrogant and they were the wicked. The arrogant are people who really like to draw attention to themselves. Maybe you can think of some political personalities that like to draw attention to themselves. There's a whole bunch of them running for office right now. Or maybe you can think of an actress or an, an actor. But anyway, the, the arrogant are those who really really try to, to draw attention to themselves. The wicked are those who go against God's ways, who live in rebellion to him. And the, and the interesting thing that really, really stuck in Asaph's heart was when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, when we read that, we tend to think, when I saw how well they're doing financially. But that actually is shalom. I'm sure Nick's talked about this, but the word shalom is is more than just peace. I mean, we translate it peace most of the time, but it, it's, it's a much richer word than that. It uh, has a, all the connotations of well-being. It has all the connotations of, uh, of, of, of health as well. And he's saying, I saw this prosperity of the wicked. I want to read a quote on a definition from uh, a shalom that I like, an awful lot. It's by, uh, I always say this guy's name wrong. The name's uh, Cornelius... Plantinga. Plantinga? Did you ever read him, Nick? Anyways, hard, hard for me to say his last name, but he, he wrote a book. It's, not, uh, it's called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be because he says, and the whole idea on the book is God intended shalom for his creation, but it's not the way it's turned out to be. And here's, what, here, here's, what, here's, what, here's the definition he says. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which nat natural deeds are satisfied and natural gifts fruit fruitfully employed, employed. A state of affairs, that, that, uh, I like this phrase, that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens the doors and welcomes the creatures, welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom in other, in other words, is the way things ought to be. That's what God intended. That's what God will restore one day, shalom. And the other key, key phrase or the, uh, important word in this phrase, he says, I, I, I looked around, I saw the arrogant, and I saw the wicked, but what I began to do was envy. I began to envy their prosperity, their shalom, because apparently they have... Life, as it's supposed to be, so easy, everything going their way. And the next uh, four, uh, next, no, how many, four, uh, seven verses, four through 11, he, he does that description. We've already read it, but basically there are ideas like they, they're, they're at ease. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're, they have a hassle-free life. Uh, they're, they're, they don't seem to have any tragedies. You know, tragedies probably may be what was the very thing that, 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 that peaked uh, Asaph's envy more than anything. I know most of you that follow our newsletter know that uh, two, two and a half years ago, I'm going to cry, sorry, our son had twins, but they came early. The little boy died at 23 weeks. The, the daughter made it, Avery. She was born one pound, nine ounces. Is that right? And now she's, and she was in, in NICU for three and a half months, four months, 
and it was just touching, you know, touch and go at first. And but it was so amazing. I mean, those guys are miracle workers in the NICU. And now, but I know that that tragedy caused all of us to say, "I envied the prosperity of the wicked." Some of our family hasn't recovered from that yet. So that's another prayer request, that our son and daughter-in-law can have the the comfort of the Lord and truly believe that they'll see baby Jack in all his glory, welcoming them to heaven. Excuse me. Think this water, you think this is water, don't you? They do CBD? No. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I'll, that's a hard thing to talk about, but I do want your prayers for that. But that's, I think these are the things that Asaph grappled with. Now, we've got to remember, and I've already alluded to this once, who, to, to whom Asaph is. Asaph was David's main worship guy. He was in charge of putting all of David's psalms to better music. I mean, I'm sure David kind of strummed along with his uh, mandolin or whatever he played, his harp. But Asaph was in, in charge of putting uh, all, the, all this that David wrote, the music, and I think it would be really safe to say that he knew the theology of the day. He was great in Bible study. He knew the theology of the day. And so if you look, in, uh, we won't do it now, but First Chronicles 16 talks about him being among being the chief priest going to the taking the ark to the new tabernacle for David he had he had a strong position of leadership and worship and then in in 2 Corinthians 5 excuse me second that's the Corinthians I meant chronicles and then 2 Chronicles 5 he also coordinated the dedication of the new temple and if you remember that the glory of God was so great that they had to leave the temple because it was so powerful and so strong so Asaph had seen the power and glory of God like none of the rest of us ever have. No one up till then had seen it like that. And this is instructive for us because it helps us understand how easy it is to envy the prosperity of the, of the, of the, of the, of the wicked and, the, and to nearly, nearly slip and stumble. Because if Asaph, who saw who had fabulous past experiences and, and, and seen the power and glory of God, if Asaph, who knew the teaching of the word as well as anyone, could nearly stumble, how much easier is it is for us? It's instructive. If he could come this close to rejecting the Lord, how about us? Well, let's look a little bit at... Oh, I want to say one other thing. This is going on in Asaph's life. He's seen, he's, he, he's watching HGTV. Now, we all know that Chip and Joe are Christians, so that one's okay. But some of those other birds, <laughs> they're really opulent. And they seem like, golly, uh, uh, how can people afford that? These people, Asaph is seeing all of this. Well, he's not watching HGTV, but... Uh, He's seeing those around him. And by the way, these are Jews he's talking about. Fellow Jews are just not probably practicing our religious Jews. They're, uh, they're flaunting 
what they know, should know about God. But if Asaph is saying, you know, I, I, I don't think I, I'm worried so much about why bad things happen to good people. I'm worried right now why good things happen to bad people. It's the reverse of, of Rabbi uh, whatever um, Kushner's book was a few years ago. He was jealous because so many good things were, was, were, were happening to bad people, people who didn't deserve it like he did. So, Asaph and said, if I would, were even to comment on this, if I were to confess any of these feelings around the people, it would, it would be, it, it could torpedo their faith because I'm supposed to be a spiritual leader and I'm, I'm doing all of this. So he said, if I had said thus, or if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. He's talking to the Lord. And then he said, so I don't have, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I can't go public. I'm, I'm alone. I don't have anyone to talk to. And then he says, when I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me. I can't reason my way out of it. He went into the temple of the Lord, or the, yeah, the, 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 it's the sanctuary of the Lord. And he understood their final destiny. Basically, eternity broke through in the very same room that Asaph had been going in to minister and to perform the sacrifices and to lead the worship or whatever else he did in that thing. Uh, but eternity broke through when he got alone with the right heart of searching with the Lord. And, and so this, is a, this, of course, is a, is a, is a, a, a key turning point. This is where, where, where he comes back to reality. Verse, uh, verse 2 was his departure point. This is his turning back point. His, you could very easily say his point of repentance. And then he goes through some answers he gets from the sanctuary. He says, surely you place them on, on slippery ground. I'm going to read them again. And you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. They're like a bad dream to you, God. And when my heart is, in, is grieved, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Think about your dog, Rover. He lives for the moment. He doesn't plan for the day. And that's why, uh, as much as you like your dog, your dog does not have a God sensitivity. He's living for the now. I like my, I don't have a dog anymore, but I like my kid's dog. And, uh, and that dog is happy when he shouldn't be. And he's sad when he shouldn't when he when he when he shouldn't be, but he's he just lives for now. Wherever there's food, wherever there's uh, somebody throwing a ball or a rope for him. And and that's how Asaph was. He said, "I realized that. I I, I was just living for now." And then he then he goes and he says, "What you show me what well, several things. One, he realizes this it's not over till it's over. God's not, not done yet because he says, I, when I, I understood their final destiny. And then second, he, um, he realized that he had been acting like a, like a hurt animal, a dumb animal. And then in verse 23, he realizes who's been with him the whole time. Look at this as you read verse 23 through 26. Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide. Look at the U's in that. You see, there's a huge shift. After, from verse 2 on, it's been I, I, they, 
they, all of a sudden it's now you, our Lord, our God. He says, yet I'm always with me. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me into your, with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Before, when he envied the prosperity of the wicked, he wanted their portion. But now he says, I want you as my portion forever. That's a huge turning point. Where did it happen? In the presence of the Lord. Asaph, who had seen the Lord occupy the temple in a, in a powerful and glorifying uh, way, who wrote most of the Christian music of that day, although I guess most of, most of the Jewish music of the day, and he said, all of a sudden I realize it's not in my past that I can keep my walk firm. It's in the sanctuary with you. And when he said sanctuary, it's really in worship, it's in, in personal time with hearing of the Lord. That's where we shift from a finite to an infinite perspective with the Lord. Eternity breaks through in those places and changes our heart. The um, Let me see. What, oh, I love that. I don't know. Some of your translations in verse 23 um, say, nevertheless. Did you ever see that bumper sticker on the back of a car? Did you ever see nevertheless? I always wondered what it was for, but when I was reading, I used to, when I was reading the New American, it says, "Nevertheless, I'm always with you." I thought, I bet you that's what that is, but probably not. But I like to think that anyway. But nevertheless, I am always with you, Lord, even when I'm acting like a dumb animal, even when I'm I, I envy the arrogant, and when I and when I uh, when when I uh, envy because of the prosperity of the wicked. Nevertheless, I am always with you. That's the great covenant we have with the Lord. And he says, uh, you know, you've been with me all along. You've been holding my hand all along. You've been leading me, guiding me all along. And you're going to honor me in the days ahead. Your timing, your way. So what does he realize? He realizes one more thing. He realizes that there's no one else. God is the only one. Those who are far from you... Well, uh, oops, excuse me, wrong verse. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing that I desire before you. Nothing has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's no one else. His envy in the last two verses begins to uh, change to worship. He realizes that those who are far from him, uh, you will perish. You will destroy all who are faithful uh, to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. His envy changes to worship, and then his anger changes to action or proclamation. I will tell tell of all your deeds. I will tell of all your deeds. So... Where are you when the well explodes? Are you saying, why me? Where are you when life seems to be going all wrong and, uh, and, and the non-Christians around you seem to be having a lot better uh, go at it? 
I know where I am most of the time. I'm right there with Asaph saying, why me, Lord? I mean, that's even on a good day. I usually tend to envy the prosperity of the wicked. And yet, when I enter the sanctuary of the Lord, let his eternal grace, his eternal perspective, and, and basically, as, as he says, I understand their final destiny in the sanctuary of God. I understand my final destiny. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Let me close with some prayer. Father, I just thank you for the insights we, we learn from this great man, this great man of God. Thank you for having him write it down as a, as a poem to help me see things in a more picturesque manner, help us see things in a more picturesque manner, ways I can remember. Thank you that you are always with us, that you hold our right hands, you guide us with your counsel, and you will take us into glory. Thank you that we have no one else in heaven but you, and you are our portion forever. Pray your blessings on this church, on these people, your children, and ask that you help us walk and grow and, and stand for you. In Jesus' name, amen.